Welcome to Ongoing Mastery, presenting and speaking. It's a podcast and a community. I'm Kirsten Rourke, speaker, presenter, and founder of Rourke Training. And this is Kelly. Hey there, I'm Kelly, producer, writer, and herder of cats. Oh, so many cats. After over 20 years as speaker and presenter, I've seen it all, and I'm sharing it with you. Ongoing Mastery is about continual improvement of your craft. You'll learn tips and hear from industry leaders. I'll tell you straight up what works and what doesn't so you can thrive. Let's get started. Welcome to episode five. Last week, we said we were gonna talk about energy and time this week. So we're gonna have a physics conversation. Sure, it's gonna be mostly you talking then. I know nothing about physics. Yeah, I don't actually either. All right. So then let's talk about energy and time as it relates to presenting and speaking. And in this case, teaching. Right. I teach college students. Mostly I teach first-year college students. I teach three sections, 90 minutes each, back to back to back. So I have to really think about my own energy so that every section gets the same me that the third section of the day doesn't get the exhausted, let's just get this done, me. And I have to think about the energy of my students. When I teach the 8 a.m. section, I have a class full of athletes because they need to finish their day early. When I teach the 2.30 section, the 3 o'clock section, I have a room full of students who maybe have a morning work commitment or it's just after lunch and they want a nap. So I have to think about how we're talking about our topics, in what order, am I going to have them stand up and do some stretches, move around to small group work, change the energy a little bit in the room, and also how I am moving in the space so that I'm not just standing in one space the whole time, but I'm not exhausting myself while I do it. And this also relates to those of you that are doing presenting and speaking by yourselves because you're not just managing your energy, you're also managing the energy and attention and the journey of your audience. So like we talked about last week, it matters the journey you take people on and it matters the journey that you're on. So last week it was talking about going to a speaker convention and how emotionally and and energetically taxing that can be both in a good way and a bad way. And in my case, I manage a small, diverse team that is remote. And it's hybrid because Kelly's often over with me physically in person, whereas Jim and Danny are coming in via either Teams or Zoom or Skype, depending on our moment. Which tech is working that day. Yes, and how we're feeling. And whether we're like, oh, do we want to be on video? Nah. Hey, make a phone call. So when you're thinking about your energy and time, I'm just going to bring it up from a management perspective for a moment. Historically, managing a team, you'd manage the time. You'd have people in the chair, butts in chairs, 9 a.m., 5 p.m., blah, blah, blah. Only I manage hybrid teams, and I've done that for a while. And honestly, the amount of time it takes somebody in a chair to do their job is not my issue. My issue is the results. My issue is their energy. When I was managing e-learning teams, 
I would have creatives on my team, such as animators and graphic designers. And one of the things that I needed to do was keep an eye on their creative energy and their physical energy. Because once the creative energy either was not getting renewed or was tapped out, I needed for them to recharge that in order to have the full use of their talents for the next piece. And that's the piece that it feels like a lot of managers stuck in a more traditional model have not really grasped yet. So can you give an example of how that might work if you're managing for energy versus managing for time and thinking about a creative's day? So I worked with many, many, many brilliant people, but there was Josh and there was Dan. And Josh, what I noticed in working with him was that what he really needed for his brilliant graphic and animation design was he needed a chance to explore and recharge and look at new styles and try new things and not just be doing the exact same thing all the time. He needed variety and he also needed a chance to do exploration. Whereas Dan would have a tendency to work himself right up to that wall, slam into the wall, and then would be asked to do something else and he would pick himself up and just go. And because Dan and I are a lot alike, I would step in and go, mm, no, why don't you stop for the day? Or why don't you take a couple hours and just step away and take that recharging time? And what happened early on when I did this with them is they both were surprised because it wasn't a traditional way of managing people. I would be skeptical the first time someone said that to me. I remember... Um, when I asked Josh to please take some time off and he said, I thought you were going to ask me to do something new when you asked what was on my plate. And I said, yeah, I was asking what's on your plate because I want you to stop. And he said, well, I actually don't want to stop. I'd rather do X. Okay, that's fine. You know your talents, you know your energy. But one of the things about managing people and managing projects is the end result is to get the project in on budget, on time, without burning out your people. And it seems like that what is completely obvious about that is that your people are going to need to manage and dance with their time usage in order to have their energy flow properly. So if somebody is working at three o'clock in the morning because that's their best time, I personally do not give any dams at all as long as the project is getting done. If that's their best time working, that's their best time working. When you're managing remote teams, especially international teams, you got to give up the standard clock. You just do. And keeping an eye on the clock adds a layer of anxiety and apprehension that impedes the work you're trying to do. So let's now bring this back to you. You might not be managing a team like our small but mighty team that we have. It might be you as a solo person. Well, you're managing yourself. What do you need to do to get that presentation to work? How many times do you need to practice? Do you need to just stop and go listen to music or take a drive and clear out your headspace to be able to get the energy to do the delivery you need to do? Because 
you got to practice your energy level as well. Back when I was doing dance, if our rehearsals were, and now I lift my arm, and now I step to the left, our performances would have sucked out loud. You have to practice the way you perform. And that's the same for presenters and speakers. It is one of the things I will tell my students as they are preparing to give a presentation in class to practice wearing the clothes, often for uh, college students wearing the dress shoes, wherever they're going to be in whatever clothes, with whatever props, practice all of it so that they can marshal their energy throughout the whole time and not stumble or otherwise be uncomfortable. I'm so glad you use the word props because if you are ever going to use props, dear God, practice your talk with them and practice your talk without them. Because if your prop breaks or if the technology fails or if you have to have your deck to give the speech, you are going to get hurt. You will. It's going to fail at some point. Technology does. Things break. So you've got to be able to do it without. And if your prop is not a tech prop, but if your prop is, say, a marker for the whiteboard or a pencil that somehow feels more comfortable just to have something in your hand, you have to make sure you're not stabbing the air with it or trying to put it behind your ear and missing. And this goes back to a long time ago. Uh, I was doing my certification for technical trainer and we were all videoed. And there was a lovely, lovely kid. A bunch of us were of an age. And there was a kid in his 20s and he was brilliant and talented and all of that. But we had to explain that his use of the word whatever in his presentation meant to those of us who were older as offensive and rude. And he was using it as a carrying word. It was just a connection point between sentences. And we had to say, um, not if you're talking to people over 30. And he was baffled by that. He was also surprised when he did his recording and we all stopped him and said, um, please take your hands out of your pockets and don't rock because you're waving your crotch at the camera. Please don't do that. We were all trying not to die laughing because it was MC Hammer crotch waving time. And we're all going, oh, honey, no. Oh, that's unfortunate. It was, it was hysterical. I demonstrate for my students what I call the one foot square dance, where you basically slide from foot to foot because you're trying to do something with your nervous energy, mm -hmm. but you're not walking. You're trying to stand in one space. And so you put your weight on your left foot and then you slide it over and you put your weight on your right foot. Or it could take the effect of cocking your hip out one side and then the other. And of course, I exaggerate for comic effect but everybody gets a little bit nauseous with all of the motion and they don't realize they're doing it until they see themselves on camera and then they're, oh. And let me be perfectly clear. Seeing yourself on camera is never, except for very, very few people, and I'm not one of them, it's never fun seeing yourself on camera, but... It is 
necessary. It is absolutely crucial. And when you watch yourself on camera, you really need to follow a pattern. This is what we do with our clients. We go and get a recording and we have them go through it three times. Now, bear with me. I know that sounds awful. It's a lot. It's a lot. The first time is just an audio pass, no visuals, listening and just making notes, what the carrying words are, the ums and errs. And generally, if somebody's been doing it a while, the ums and errs are gone, but are replaced by different connecting words. And sometimes those connecting words happen so often that you don't realize you've essentially caused a audio tick in your audience. And it's almost to the point where that word comes up again and your audience will wince a little. So you need to pay attention to that. Then you do a pass with just the video, no sound, looking at your face, looking at your hands, looking at your shoulders. If you're standing, you have more use of your body. You have your diaphragm, you have your shoulders back, you have all of that. But if you're sitting in the chair, you can still do that. You can lift in the sternum, drop the shoulders. You can have open hands. Don't rest your elbows on the chair. Have your arms up in front of you, basically nose to belly button. That area is the gesture area. Why is it not a higher area, Kelly? Because you look panicked and screaming like your arms are up on a roller coaster. Ah! Oh my God, oh my God, my speech is on fire. It gets frantic. Once it gets kind of above like the mouth or nose, yeah. when your hands go higher than your head, your entire message is different. It's going from I'm telling you a story to I'm telling you a story. Oh my God. And it's a completely different message. You don't want that. You don't want that. And it doesn't mean that your voice changes like that, but really that's the visual response to it. So think about when you're practicing and you always want to practice. Always. Always. If you are not practicing, you are not respecting yourself or your audience, period. Practice is no fun. It's absolutely crucial. And practice is how you manage your energy. If you come in hot, really, really amped at the start of your talk, you've got to be prepared for how you're going to come down and then come back up for a rousing close. You can't just peter and run out of gas. Now, we've all heard or seen those presenters that they don't even look at the camera online. They have their head tilted to the side and they've turned on their deck and they're reading that it's about what's happening on March 5th in the gallery and we're, and you just want to die. Well, watching yourself on camera will help that, but also managing the energy that you're bringing because you have to come in with enough energy to help people get over the fact that it's hard to attend things online, but you can't be full tilt boogie all the time. There is a third step. What is that third pass? What is that third pass? Look for what you did well. Oh, right. Is that the one I forget all the time? It's the one you forget all the time. Recently, I asked Kelly to go through and review one of the speeches that I gave. We talked about it last week where I was wincing because I was speaking much too quickly. 
And she said, okay, it actually wasn't too quick. Here were the areas. But I'd asked her to note the three things I did well, because that is the third pass. First pass is audio only. Second pass is visual only. Third pass is you watch the whole thing, and the only thing you note down is at least three things you did right. Why is that important? Because you can also grow by leaning on your strengths. And if you're only picking at the hard parts, at the parts that didn't go well, it is difficult to continue to work with that material that's a difficult emotional space. So if you also have some positives, you have a more balanced response. And the energy that you bring to your practice is also an emotional energy. And if you're used to just beating yourself up like I am, like some you people, are, like some people, <clears throat> then what happens is that tamps down your emotional reserve for being able to do the work. You have to end on what you did well. And I am not great at this, which is why I asked Kelly to help me find those things. You need to have somebody help you if you're not great at it. Find the things that you did well in your presentation or in your speech because it matters that you're carrying your energy forward from a place of growth. And growth happens not just from a place of disaster, but also from a place of confidence. You know what you need to do and you're going to work on it. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do this week is please come to the LinkedIn group, Ongoing Mastery, Presenting and Speaking, and join us and tell us what you do to manage your energy. How do you get yourself ramped up? How do you get yourself calmed down? Do you listen to specific music? Do you go throw medicine balls at the gym? What is your thing? And do you practice a flow of energy in your work so that you're taking your audience on a journey and it's not constantly 11 all the time so that they're tired at the end? Or worse, hello, Bueller, Bueller. That's a call out for people of a specific age. We'll put a link in the show notes for those of you that aren't as old as we are. I think that's about it for today. I, I think that's about it for today. My energy is now definitely up because I am giggling badly. All right. Make sure you check out the show notes. We'll see you guys next week. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for Ongoing Mastery Presenting and Speaking, the podcast for everyone who wants to work on their own skills and lift up others. If you enjoyed this episode, continue the conversation on our Ongoing Mastery LinkedIn group. The link is in the show notes. Share the love on social media and tell your friends about the podcast. Be sure to catch our next episode and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's a wrap.